Thank you for tuning into Seep's podcast, Weaving Conversations, discussing the hard to swallow pills. Through this program, we hope to bring about change by creating a platform where we all can have open and honest discussions to bring about change that is reflected through lived realities and social justice. We bring everyone to the table and ask the hard questions about the perils that is plaguing the Fijian society. Today, our guest in the studio is Dr. Nilesh Gounder. Dr. Gounder is the Deputy Head of School for Research, Innovation and Postgraduate Courses with the School of Accounting, Finance and Economics at the University of the South Pacific. His research areas include trade, poverty and growth in Pacific Island countries, economic performance of Pacific Island countries, as well as banking sector and financial development in the Pacific Island countries, including governance and institutions. Dr. Gaunter received the prestigious Australian Prime Minister Award, Pacific Australia Award in 2012 and the Greg Taylor Award in 2016. He is also part of the Asia and the Pacific Policy Studies Editorial Board. We are indeed delighted to have an expert like Dr. Gounder joining us. Welcome, Dr. Gounder. Thank you, Ayoni. So to begin with, um, uh, Dr. Gounder, I'll dive right into inflation. Do you think Fiji's economy is on the verge of inflation? Well, not at the moment. Uh, the CPI data that we have, uh, the indicators are not pointing uh, at inflation uh, in the in the short to medium term, uh, but the, the possibility of inflation remains uh, in the medium to long term as the as economic recovery takes place and consumer demand increases, the possibility of uh, prices ticking up upwards uh, remain. But uh, in the short term, uh, I don't see uh, inflationary pressures. Uh, emerging. Mm-hmm. And when you say short term to medium term, do you, do you think you can put a number to it, like a year yes, or a month? Sure, sure. By short term, we generally mean uh, within a year. Uh, and uh, medium term is usually referred to one to three years. And anything beyond three years is what generally economists refer to as the, as the long term. We don't have any, any hard and fast rules around uh, these uh, terminologies that, that economists use, but uh, the norm is that short term is, 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 the, is the near term outlook, which is within the next 12 months. And mm-hmm. the medium term is, is one to three years and, and anything uh, over three years is generally what we regard as the longer term. Okay. And uh, Dr. Gander, would you be able to actually explain to our listeners what happens when a country goes into inflation and who gets affected the most? So inflation means uh, there is a sustained increase in price level of of goods and services and is really measured uh, using consumer price index. So consumer price index is based on a basket of of goods and services that are commonly purchased uh, by a consumer. And uh, what the Bureau of Statistics does is uh, purchases that basket um, every month. And if the price of, of, of the basket goes up, then the CPI would increase, which uh, would eventually indicate that uh, prices have gone up in terms of purchasing that basket of goods and services. And if prices uh, of, of, of buying that basket of goods and services go up, that's what we generally call as inflation. And the basket is made up of uh, those goods and services that are commonly purchased by, by a consumer. So it typically takes into account what a household 
would normally buy. So as, as the cost of buying that basket goes up, it'll definitely have an impact on, on households and, and the households would be paying more to buy the same uh, quantity of goods and services. The households, uh, if, if there is inflation, we generally argue that uh, lower income households uh, are more impacted because uh, lower income households, the, the, the proportion of uh, income that goes towards uh, purchasing uh, necessities such as food, uh, electricity, water, etc., cetera, uh, lower income households uh, use a larger proportion of the income uh, towards the necessities for most of the goods uh, and services that make up the basket. So lower income uh, earners uh, definitely feel the impact uh, because of inflation, but also uh, those uh, workers and households whose incomes don't increase uh, during inflation will, will be impacted because their real incomes will go down. By real incomes, I mean uh, the ability of their, the, the, the money to buy goods and services. So uh, if, 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 if prices go up or there is inflation, your money cannot buy the same amount of goods and services before. And if, 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 your, if your fixed uh, amount of money or your salary cannot buy the same amount of goods and services as before, it means that the real value of the, of the income has gone down. So uh, inflation impacts everyone, but uh, disproportionately impacts the low-income earners or the low-income uh, households. Thank you, Dr. Garner. And um, what are some ways you feel as an economist that we can avoid going into this situation given the current pandemic and the consumer dollar being stretched overly to just uh, be able to afford just the bare basics? How do you see us getting out of this situation? Yeah, so uh, slight in inflation uh, is, uh, is almost what economists call as a natural phenomenon and, and no country can avoid um, some level of inflation. So generally speaking, two to 3% uh, inflation is, is acceptable and, and most central banks around the world will target um, two to 3% uh, level of inflation. Uh, however, uh, a country like Fiji, for instance, uh, where we import uh, a large, uh, uh, level of uh, goods and services, in, in many cases, um, we wouldn't have control over, over the prices at which these goods land in our country because prices may go up uh, in, in other places and cost of production may go up in other countries and prices uh, may go up. Uh, price control currently is one of the means through which uh, governments uh, are making sure that uh, businesses don't um, charge prices that are very high or that are not reasonable uh, in terms of the cost of buying and the amount of uh, profit that firms uh, can make uh, from buying and selling. So price control remains one of the ways through which um, governments can, can, can control uh, prices. The other medium to longer term strategy is to bring more competition in markets. Uh, competition is argued to be one of the factors that can play a role uh, in ensuring that uh, prices are more competitive. And by more competitive prices, I mean business wouldn't have an opportunity uh, to increase uh, prices, say if demand, uh, demand goes, goes up. So um, uh, competition is one of the ways, best ways through which we can ensure that consumers get uh, fair prices for the goods and services 
the, the purchase. And where competition is limited, uh, government policy has been to, to use price control uh, to control for, for prices. But during um, times like this, during a health crisis or a pandemic, uh, households can, can uh, use other strategies. Backyard gardening, for instance, can play a role in ensuring that you have uh, you grow your own vegetables rather than uh, buying. So you can save some money uh, from, from your uh, from not purchasing from the from the markets and and the planting planting yarn. Mm -hmm. And um, it's great to see that one of your research areas is trade. So it leads well into my next question is about how it this pandemic is affecting currently the trade and how do you see it affecting in the near future and in terms of uh, Fiji's economy as well as what it means for everyday people consumers. Yeah, so the post-pandemic uh, post data shows that, uh, especially for Fiji, trade has declined compared to 2019. So by, by post-pandemic, I mean uh, March 2020, uh, and, and pre-COVID-19 would be before March uh, 2020. So uh, compared to 2019, uh, exports have, have declined, uh, the, the goods and, and that we sell uh, to other countries abroad, uh, services has also declined, and uh, the imports have also gone down uh, in terms of exports. So what that means is that um, other countries are buying less from us, uh, and our imports have gone down, which also means that we are also buying less uh, from other countries. And this happens during a economic downturn because um, incomes go down, and as incomes go down, consumption goes down as well. Uh, it's both uh, household consumption and um, and the goods and services that are purchased by businesses. So as um, as, as household consumption goes down, uh, some of our consumption goes towards uh, buying goods and services that are made abroad. So this normally happens during during an economic downturn, and that's basically what we are seeing. Um, our exports have gone down, you know, imports have, have, have gone down uh, as well, and because our incomes have gone down. Our consumption has gone down, and, and as a result of a decrease in consumption, uh, we are buying less uh, from, from, from other, other countries. Uh, but uh, going back to, to, to your point about exports, uh, the reduction in exports will have an impact on, on, on domestic firms' uh, revenues, profits, and uh, which will have an impact on the labor market in terms of uh, reduction in the number of people that firms employ and increase in unemployment, et cetera. And that's basically what we are, what we are seeing now in terms of exports imports and the impact of exports and imports on labor markets and jobs and, and, and uh, unemployment. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Nilesh, I'd like to direct your attention to a recent um, article that RBA, uh, the Reserve Bank had released where they were saying that the banking sector, the commercial banks are holding $1.7 billion um, in its uh, weak consumer and business demand with consistent drops in credit. Um, could you please... Um, explain this in terms of where our listeners can actually understand what this actually means and how can banks help uh, the people recover from this? All right, so banks are what we call as deposit-taking institutions. Um, uh, there are generally three types of, uh, three 
categories of individuals or businesses at any point in time. One um, whose income equals the expenditure. The other category is one whose um, income is more than the expenditure. And for this category of, of households and businesses, um, the savings go to the bank. So banks accept deposits uh, from, from savers. And the third category, of course, is those people, uh, those households or businesses whose, whose, whose expenditure is more than their income and they, they need uh, to, to, to fill that um, gap by, by either borrowing from the banks or from, from somewhere else. So uh, what banks basically do is to, 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 to accept money from, 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 from those who are able to, to save and to provide loans to those who, 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 need, um, who need money to, to, to cover uh, the gap uh, for, for the difference between the expenditures and, and incomes. Now, the, 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 the liquidity that you mentioned is, uh, is, is the total volume of deposits um, in, the, in the banking system. And uh, all, what all banks try to do is once they receive um, deposits, uh, their aim is to lend it out to someone else as, as, as quickly as possible, because that's how banks make money. If you deposit money in the bank, they give you 1% to 2% interest rate. But if someone borrows that same money, which you have deposited, they charge a higher interest rate. So the difference in, in, in interest rate on, on deposits and loans is actually bank's revenue. And after, after adjusting for costs, which becomes bank's, uh, bank's profits. But banks also need to be careful in terms of not lending what we call is a reckless way, because if they lend it out uh, without, um, uh, without due diligence in terms of whom they're lending it to, they might not be able to recover the loan. So, so there is a potential risk of, of not uh, recovering uh, the money uh, from uh, from the borrower, and, uh, and it, it does happen in, in some cases. Uh, borrowers aren't able to to pay back, and then banks will have to go back and and and, and take the um, the mortgage which was uh, given as a security uh, for the for the loan. So when banks uh, give out loan, they, they basically look at uh, whether the borrowers are worthy or not, and, and the chance of default uh, is low. So what we are seeing now is that um, on one side, uh, this is an economic downturn, and um, businesses aren't, aren't borrowing and spending uh, because demand for goods and services are, are, are lower than what it was uh, before, before COVID-19. Consumers also, uh, buying less, uh, consuming less. There's a lot of uncertainty as well. And, and uh, a lot of households are also trying to, to save. So there isn't much spending. And as a result, there isn't much economic expansion and uh, businesses and households are not borrowing. So that's the, the main reason why there's so much liquidity uh, or deposit into the, into the banking system. Uh, one of the, the, the stronger arguments as to how we can, we can encourage um, or increase demand for borrowings is if interest rates come down and uh, there's sufficient competition in the, in the banking system in Fiji. And um, I think interest rates um, have been determined uh, in a competitive way. And, uh, but uh, the, the fact is that given the economic downturn, uh, many businesses still find that that, that interest rate um, uh, higher from their perspective uh, because interest rate uh, is uh, is the most um, important factor in terms of uh, the cost of cost of borrowing. So if we want to ensure that more is being borrowed, 
uh, we'll have to ensure that the cost of borrowing goes down uh, from the demand side and from the supply side uh, we'll have to also look at how do we reduce the the, the riskiness of of the of, of the borrowers from 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 defaulting mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Gounder, and correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, the fact that what, uh, for example, uh, let's take a person is trying to uh, buy a house during this pandemic. And first of all, they have to come up with a 20% down payment as per the bank rules. And then, um, which already is uh, something that the, the average youth, for example, would not be able to afford, given the housing market is about uh, 200,000 plus. So they have to come up with the 20% from their savings and then the other 80% is covered by the bank. So does this actually indicate that the buying power has become greater for the upper class rather than the lower class? So housing is a much much bigger challenge, and and uh, and if if you want to relate it to back to the uh, to the banking system, uh, the way banks function, uh, they need some kind of uh, they they need security uh, when they provide loans, uh, and um, the deposit also plays an important role because. Uh, that acts as a buffer in terms of uh, the well, if there's any fluctuations in, uh, in prices, etc. So, so the bank is is covering its risk uh, when it asks for a deposit, uh, etc. Uh, but I, I but I agree with your point uh, in terms of uh, many young borrowers who may not have uh, uh, sufficient level of savings to meet the meet the twenty percent uh, deposit that banks require uh, for for home loans. Uh, that's one 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 challenge, uh, I guess, for many uh, young uh, families or young borrowers uh, in terms of uh, uh, buying buying house uh, buying uh, buying a house. But um, beyond that, I think we need to look at much broader uh, issues related to housing. For instance, uh, how many uh, how many lots are divided? Uh, and uh, available in the market. Uh, also, uh, the availability of uh, new houses for sale in the market. Basically, what I'm talking about is the supply of, uh, of, uh, of land or the supply of, of houses relative to demand. And if the, 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 the supply is, 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 is less relative to demand, what we'll eventually see is, 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 is rising prices um, over time. And that's basically what we are, we are seeing. But yes, your, your earlier point is also correct. Given the, the, the scenario that, that we are in, uh, many low-income households uh, will find it extremely difficult uh, to buy uh, a house. And uh, the same would apply to, to uh, new or younger uh, individuals. Um, for the past five years or so, PG has had the um, FNPF as its rescue pot of cash every time something happens, every time a disaster is striking, uh, the government is encouraging people to um, withdraw their FNPF to be able to uh, make ends meet, which means they are 
uh, retirement plan is getting stretched. Um, and the same has happened during COVID-19. Um, people are turning down towards the F and PF to uh, uh, make withdrawals. And some of them have actually re withdrawn everything that they could have withdrawn from their 20%. Uh, so what does this really mean um, for individuals who are already using up their FNPF and how does their future look like? Yes, uh, in, during, uh, after a natural disaster or during economic downturn, uh, households uh, are impacted. So these households suddenly need support. And um, the best way to provide support to these houses would be direct transfers from the from the government. But um, going into the COVID-19 crisis, the, the, the government wasn't in a strong financial position. And as a result, it wasn't able to fully support uh, the impacted households uh, because of COVID-19. And as a result, um, uh, it resorted to, to allowing workers to withdraw uh, their savings from, from FNPF. And uh, if uh, and, and, and when workers withdraw their savings, uh, it's taken out of the pool uh, that should um, uh, accumulate when they retire or, or for their retirement savings. So definitely it'll have an impact on the amount of uh, fund that is available when workers retire. But the other way, uh, the, 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 the quantity of uh, savings um, amount uh, that, that remains uh, at the time of retirement is impacted, is through unearned interest because when you when the worker takes out um, money from the from the savings uh, from the pension account, uh, the that money isn't available to earn uh, future interest for the member. So uh, it certainly has um, uh, been a double blow to the workers. First of all, they've been impacted by the crisis in terms of job losses uh, or reduced hours but they've also had to resort to using their pension uh, fund uh, to, to cater for their, for their needs and, 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 and services during this time. Ideally, one would have expected the state uh, to provide support to these households uh, uh, during this time. But unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Fiji government wasn't in a strong financial position. Uh, to, to support uh, the number of households that have been impacted and for the duration we are seeing. And uh, how, how do you think uh, the financial health looks like for these individuals that are actually um, withdrawing their FNPF? What happens to their buying power, especially when we talk in terms of investment? Because uh, FNPF was always seen as an investment uh, uh, opportunity for the everyday Fijians, whereby they could have access to these funds to either buy a house if ne needed be, or be able to afford uh, a comfortable retirement. But now that especially the youths these days who were in the middle age group are using the FNPF already and draining it out. How does it look like for them? So uh, this will significantly impact um, a lot of members uh, who won't have enough savings um, uh, at the time of retirement. And initially uh, FNPF was established to be, uh, uh, so that it will be a retirement fund and that workers will be able to save uh, sufficient funds. Uh, that will support them during their retirement when they're not not any. But over time, and this has not happened in the last 10 years, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's happened in the last um, three decades or so, where 
uh, exceptions were provided uh, for, for households or workers who can withdraw certain amount of funds. So housing was one, for instance, then education assistance was another. So these were the two key ones. But over time, what we have seen uh, immediately after natural disasters, et cetera, members were also allowed to, to utilize um, their, their savings um, fund from, from FNPF. So over time, uh, these exceptions have allowed workers to, to, to use the money from the, from the pension uh, fund, which would have, should have um, uh, ideally been used as a retirement, um, retirement fund. Uh, it is certainly a sensitive issue because many times workers themselves argue that it is their fund and that they must be allowed to access it during, um, during uh, difficult times. Uh, for instance, uh, you can also one can also withdraw from FNPF um, for medical reasons as well. So the argument was that uh, if I don't use it uh, and if I if I'm not alive, what's the point of uh, keeping money there when I'm not able to use it when I need it for a medical emergency? So uh, there are some sensitive uh, issues and questions here that need to be carefully looked at. But yes, um, the more we take out of uh, more money we take out of our retirement fund the lesser uh, will be available at the time of, of retirement. And that certainly is the case uh, for many workers uh, in Fiji. I understand when you talk about the sensitivity around this uh, um, usage of FNPF, and I completely agree with the fact that uh, perhaps people are making um, uh, decisions without being properly informed as to how it is impacted uh, uh, their future and I'm hoping that this podcast will help people understand how their FNPF is being impacted now and in the future. And um, Dr. Gounder, as an economist, how long do you think it will take for Fiji's economy to actually recover from this pandemic? And when I, I talk about economy, I do not mean on a policy level or a government state level, but actually the lived reality of everyday people uh, being actually able to come back out of this pandemic and be able to afford the basics and a few luxuries as well. Yeah, so this is this is uh, a health crisis, and it has mm -hmm. it has impacted um, mobility, and as a result, the economic impacts uh, are almost uh, almost every year, uh, sorry, everywhere. And uh, given the uncertainties surrounding the. The, the, the health crisis, uh, the, the vaccination strategy, uh, the impact of the vaccine, et cetera. Uh, and considering um, uh, the impact that uh, the, the, the crisis uh, has had on the Fijian economy so far, uh, my take is that it will take um, uh, at least three to five years uh, for a for, uh, for, for an economic recovery uh, or the phase of economic recovery to take us back to, to 2019 economic situation. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 2019 is what I regard as the pre-COVID um, uh, economic situation. So 2018 or 2019 would be the, the, the full recovery. Uh, if, if we mean 2018, 2019 as, 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 as fully recovered, then it would take us at least three to five years to take back economic activity to that level, the 20, 2018, 2019 uh, level. 
So let me go back to the to the earlier point about um, the health crisis and economic impacts. And uh, so initially, the the, the impact has, has uh, was felt because um, supply chains were were cut uh, across the the region and the world. And by mm -hmm. supply chains, uh, especially I mean the borders. When when our borders were shut uh, uh, for international travel, that impacted tourism, and tourism was brought to a total. To, to a standstill. And as a result, um, the industry uh, is not functioning uh, at all, which means that um, uh, the workers have lost their jobs in the tourism industry. Uh, so 99% of them have lost their jobs. Um, there are some models still operating uh, before the second um, uh, round of COVID uh, impact this April. Domestic tourism was driving some of these uh, in a small way. And now some of the hotels are being used as quarantine. So some of these workers are still there, but 99% of, of the workers have lost their jobs in, in the tourism industry. So the, 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 the majority of the impact that we are seeing has, um, has come across uh, through the tourism industry. And because tourism industry has been impacted, workers have lost jobs, these workers don't have incomes. Uh, other sectors have been impacted uh, as well because these workers are not earning, they are not buying goods and services. So uh, businesses are not selling uh, to these workers anymore. And, and these businesses are then making less uh, revenue and less profits. They are then in turn employing less workers or so workers who reduce hours, et cetera. And that's how everyone else has been impacted as well. And, and uh, take Singatoga, for instance, um, the tourism industry used to buy uh, around $5 million worth of vegetables annually from the vegetable farmers in Singatoka. So the tourism industry um, being shut down in Singatoka not only means that workers in these hotels have lost jobs, but the farmers have been impacted as well because less vegetables are being bought uh, from the farmers by the, uh, by the, by the hotel. So uh, it's a health crisis, but has led to uh, economic impacts um, across uh, our industries and across uh, our society. So as as um, the, 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 what we call as the, as the trigger effects of, of one industry on other and, and, and uh, the impact of uh, reduced incomes leading to reduced consumptions and reduced consumptions mean reduced demand uh, for goods and services um, across the, the economy. Um, Dr. Gounder, you had already mentioned that perhaps backyard gardening could be one way to improve people's financial health. What are some other strategies that you think the everyday people can adopt into their life to um, make their financial health and well-being a bit better? Yeah, this, this is a very challenging and difficult time for, for many households, uh, particularly those households which um, were regarded as, as those households living in poverty or those uh, households with low incomes, et cetera. And um, these households would hardly have any savings to tap into uh, during this time if they don't have a sustained source of income or someone from their household has lost jobs so it's reduced hours, et cetera. So it's certainly very, very challenging times uh, for, for these, these types of vulnerable uh, vulnerable households and they need support. Uh, uh, backyard gardening or, or backyard farming is only going to contribute um, so much. It's not going to be the biggest factor that, that families can, can resort to. That's one of the ways through which families can reduce the, the impact 
of of the of of the, of the crisis on the on the households. Uh, but these families will also need these households will also need support uh, from the state, but also from uh, family and friends, etc. Uh, can can uh, can support uh, their families uh, who are in need. And this is the time when um, we need to take care of those uh, households and families who need who need support. So it's not only about um, about uh, you know families. Many families don't have a uh, households don't have a yard to to do backyard gardening or farming informal settlements, for instance. Uh, you know they've lost the job, and their household um, income is now cut off, uh, and um, they can't go and do something else because the economy uh, is in a downturn, and um, the health restrictions also uh, don't help uh, them. Uh, to 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 go and do more more common types of uh, jobs such as laborers or carpenters etc. So many households have been impacted and, and and given the type of the situation we are in, uh, these households would need uh, support from the state, from family, friends, uh, from civil society organizations etc. And, and a lot of civil society organizations are, are helping and supporting and a lot of family and friends are supporting and that's one of the ways through which we can get out of this um, this crisis uh, by supporting each other. Um, I just wanted to just actually two more questions really. Um, talking about the country's economy and how do you think this current situation is going to affect the country? And now we're going to. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. Can you repeat that, please? Sorry, it must be my internet. Um, I just wanted to have a little chat about the country's debt management, this current situation, the pandemic. How does it look like towards Fiji's debt management? Are we going to keep borrowing to survive, do you feel? Or is there a better way to ensure that we come out of this um, without uh, increasing our debt? Yes, so the warning signs regarding the, the growing debt uh, was already there pre-COVID. Um, I raised this issue back in 2018 and there are many others who had uh, highlighted the, the, the growing debt issue back in 2018 and 2019. Uh, COVID-19 crisis only exacerbated the, the debt situation because this government revenue um, uh, declined. Uh, government had to continue with um, key public services, etc. So expenditure had to be maintained, but revenue was much lower than the pre-COVID situation. Uh, and uh, if, if a government with a reduced level of revenue is trying to maintain uh, expenditure uh, as, as then uh, it has to borrow. So when governments borrow every year, it adds to the stock of debt. And uh, what we are seeing now is, uh, is, um, is a dire situation where uh, COVID-19 uh, economic impact has uh, added uh, the, the debt burden in terms of uh, the amount of debt stock that we will have uh, by by end of this year or next year, and uh, the, the the amount of debt uh, or debt servicing or debt uh, repayments that will have to be have to be made in the in the near future. That remains one of the, the key concerns because um, as more and more government revenue goes towards debt servicing or debt repayments, less and less of that money can be used uh, for public services or investment in hospital roads, um, infrastructure or schools, uh, 
uh, etc so as as a, as a country's debt grows debt servicing really becomes um, challenging and if the economy isn't growing then debt servicing becomes a, 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 a core burden on government revenues and government's budgets and that's what we are going to see now and in the in the short term when the, um, this debt will have to be paid but uh, is going to come from lower government revenue because the economy is taking time uh, to recover and government revenue isn't going to go back to pre-COVID levels immediately, but we take, as I mentioned earlier, at least three to five years uh, for, for government revenue to go back to, to, to previous levels. So in this scenario, uh, it's very important for the, for the government to ensure that uh, key public services continue and it must prioritize uh, public services uh, so that it avoids wastage and that it channels um, government re revenue into key public uh, services and, and more uh, productive areas than the so-called lesser productive uh, areas, but also support, provide support to households uh, impacted by the, by the pandemic. Um, social assistance should be expanded to support those households who have been, uh, who have been impacted. But um, yes, debt is a, was a challenge uh, pre-COVID-19 and um, the challenge has just uh, become bigger uh, for the government. Um, and just finally, one last question. Do you see this affecting the foreign relationship our government has with other countries, like uh, especially our donors and um, trade partners like China, Australia, New Zealand and the US, including Indonesia? Do you mean the debt situation impacting the, the foreign relations? You, you could could this pandemic in itself as well as the rising debt affect our foreign relationships if any yeah i don't see a direct relationship between um, fiji government debt and um, uh, and um, and relationships uh, in terms of our our foreign relations with australia new zealand or china uh, but i certainly see the pandemic as having a, a direct uh, direct relation with uh, with uh, our interaction with uh, Australia and China, Australia and New Zealand particularly, uh, where there's been a lot of support from Australia and New Zealand towards Fiji uh, uh, to deal with the, the impact of COVID-19 COVID crisis, especially the health uh, related. And Australia and New Zealand also provided slightly over $100 million for budget support. Uh, which will be part of the budget, I believe, uh, uh, should be part of the budget uh, tonight. So yes, the crisis definitely uh, brought a realization in terms of uh, our relations with other nations and Australia News and have certainly stood out by showing that uh, they can be relied upon uh, during, during difficult times. Is there anything else, Dr. Nilesh, that you would like to add that you think would uh, add value to this uh, program for our listeners? Sure, yeah. I think uh, given the, the impact on households uh, and families, uh, it's very important that um, these households uh, are supported during this difficult time, because uh, while this is an economic impact, uh, let's not forget uh, the social related outcomes uh, that can also emerge uh, as a result of economic impact. So it's very important that uh, all stakeholders work together to ensure that uh, we support 
households and those who are impacted by the crisis so that we come out um, stronger uh, in terms of how uh, households have been have been impacted uh, by the by the crisis and then stakeholders i mean the state and the civil society organizations there is a need to to work together and to better deliver support to households uh, and others uh, who are in need of uh, of support that brings us to the end of our podcast today dr gounder and i'd like to thank you so much for your taking out your time i understand you're a busy man but you took time out to talk to us and explain to us and our listeners about um how the current covid-19 pandemic is affecting fiji's economy and everyday people um thank you so much yeah thank thank you for inviting me and it's a pleasure talking to you thank you dr gander have a good day thank you for listening to weaving conversations we hope you enjoyed today's show and we're able to unpack some of the way in which we can promote people-centered development in Fiji and the Pacific. Don't forget to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter where we continue to unpack those hard-to-swallow pills.